growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Part of what made him great was just he was just so much better than all the rest of us. You know what I'm saying? He had a different gear. He was at a different level. It was just different. And so I was thinking about that in relation to this idea of what makes a great church. What makes a church uh, in another gear than most churches and what most churches are doing for the work of the kingdom? What is it that makes a great athlete great? Is it raw talent? Is it work ethic? Maybe it's a little bit of both. But what about a church? What makes a great church great? As we look around and see all these empty seats and the sides of this building, and we might say, we just don't have what they have. We'll never. That's not true when it comes to a church. That's not true. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we come to the end of our series entitled, Making the Grade as a Great Church. We've been making our way through the first two chapters of the book of Acts, and Pastor Clay has been pointing out certain characteristics of the early church that made it a great church. As Pastor Clay is going to explain today, the early church wasn't perfect. They had their issues to deal with. They had their struggles. They weren't a great church because they were perfect. They were a great church because they believed enough in the perfect great God. Through it all, they managed to keep the main thing the main thing. And as we're going to see today, any church can be a great church if we make the grade. Now here's Pastor Clay. When I was in high school, I played on the football team and uh, I I was the place kicker for the football team. And I kicked uh, extra points and field goals, but I didn't do the kickoff. Uh, somebody else did the kickoff. I, I, I was on the kickoff team on the outside lane. Uh, and if you've ever played football, and you're on, you know, understand, you know, your objective on kickoff is to stop the guy that gets the ball, is to stop him from moving forward, right? So I was on that, I was on that team. And uh, anyway, when I was in high school, my senior year, uh, we we were a pretty good team. We were we were ranked, I think, sixth in the state, uh, and uh, we had a, a, a high school all American quarterback who had already uh, accepted a scholarship offer to the University of Florida, and and so you know we were we were pretty proud of ourselves, and we were getting ready to play Suncoast High School. Suncoast High School was down in the Fort Lauderdale area, and uh, they had a powerhouse team. Also, they were state ranked. Also. And they had a player on their team by the name of Anthony Carter. Now, some of you that are around my age may remember Anthony Carter because he went on to be an All-American wide receiver at the University of Michigan. Uh, He was a multiple All-Pro wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings for a number of years. And I think he played about 13 years or something in professional football. And uh, so he was, uh, when I was senior, he was a sophomore in high school. And so we were going to be playing Suncoast High School, but, here's what I want to say, we were really going to be playing Anthony Carter uh, because he was that great. Uh, our coach, uh, Coach Bedwell, and all the assistant coaching staff uh, worked us all, all week, really even in the summers. We, we knew the schedule, was preparing for it. Uh, everybody knew about Anthony Carter, and so uh, he worked us all week. We prepared we didn't prepare to play Suncoast High School. We prepared to play Anthony Carter. You know what I'm saying? He, he was just, he was that great. And so game, game day came, and of course you ride the, the, the bus down to the game, which in that we were playing there in, at Suncoast High School. It was a couple-hour drive at least 
from uh, Okeechobee to, to uh, Fort Lauderdale area. And uh, when we drove on to the campus, of course, you know, it's Friday night football, you know, and all the Suncoast fans are there. And, you know, they're like jeering the bus as we're, we're driving in, you know, and they're all along the sides, uh, you know, just, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people. They're, they're ready for this because, you know, we're both undefeated and state ranked and all this kind of stuff. So it's going to be a big deal. Uh, even even when we're, we're getting there a couple hours before the game, but still there's already a lot of people there. And so everybody's kind of nervous, right? And uh, as we turn in there, as we're going in the, the gate and we're going through the campus and people on every side, and they're like, yeah, we're going to kill you and, uh, and all this, whatever all they're saying. I'm sure it was all pleasant stuff, nice. But anyway, uh, it, it, was, it, it was just silent. There wasn't, wasn't a, not a whisper on the bus, right? And I don't know what, why it was, but it's just total, total silence, just Everybody's looking around, you know. And uh, the, bless his heart, there was a, there was a young man there a, along the crowd who had some type of um, physical abnormality, had some type of, of growth on his face that kind of came down and covered one of his eyes. And, it, it, it was, and uh, somehow everybody on the team seemed to see this, see, seen this guy. And one guy on the bus says, uh, Coach. They got monsters on this team. And when he said that, uh, everybody just, it, everybody just like busted out laughing because it just it was, it seemed like such a pressure moment because we're getting ready to play Anthony Carter and Suncoast High School and, and all this kind of stuff. So it kind of loosened everybody up. So like, you know, we're, we're ready for the game. So we go out there, and we get ready to play Anthony Carter and Suncoast High School, and he killed us. I mean, we could not stop Anthony Carter <laughs> For nothing. I mean, he was he, he was he was running back uh, kickoffs for touchdowns. He was catching balls and running for wide, you know, as wide receiver making touchdowns. He was running reverses and scoring touchdowns. And he just we we just simply could not stop him. And they beat us uh, pretty soundly, if I remember right, uh, for that that game. And you know, it, it, and if, I thought about that through the years a lot and everything. And it's at least. That's one experience that I had where, where I truly was in the presence of a, a truly great athlete. Y'all know, if you've been in athletics, maybe you, at some point, you, you know, you, maybe you've been around some person like that. It was the time, the only, it's the only time that I can remember that I was on the field with a truly great athlete. And what made him great, or part of what made him great, was just, I mean, he, he was just so much better than all the rest of us. You know what I'm saying? It was just... There was a, he had a different gear. He was at a different level. It was just, it was just different. He was a great athlete. And, and so I was thinking about that in relation to this idea of what makes a great church. What makes a church, uh, uh in another gear, uh, than, than most churches and what most churches are, are doing for the work of the kingdom and, and their, and their desire to, to see God grow and that, that kind of stuff. So it's something we've been kicking around as we have been in school and been kind of playing off this idea of, Making the grade as a great church uh, because we're trying to figure out how what how do we make a great church? What makes a great church? And uh, in football, I had to look no farther than than Anthony uh, Carter. I did tackle him one time on a kickoff, by the way, saved a touchdown. Uh, but I'm I'm sure he scored a very next time. <laughs> uh, but it, it was right there in front of me. I, I could just see it. Right. So so for us, if we're saying. Where do we look to find a great church? We've been looking at the first century church. We've been looking in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And what, what does a really great church look like? 
Now, as we do that this morning, here's what I want you to keep in mind. What's sometimes referred to as the early church or the first century church. The church that we read about in the book of Acts. It was not perfect. It was no more perfect than the 21st century church. That's what I want you to understand. Because, because when, when, I, when I look at a guy like Anthony Carter on the football field, or a guy like Nate Jones on the golf course, they're just, so, there's just a different gear, a different level there that, that I, that I know I'm never gonna, right? I mean, I was never gonna, uh, attain Anthony Carter's level of athletic skill. He just had, it was just different. But what I want us to hear is that when we, when we read about this church and we see the power of God moving and, and we see people being saved and, and this, this incredible growth, that it, it might be as we look around and, and we see all these empty seats and the sides of this building and, and we might say, wow, I, we, we, could, we, we just don't have what they have. We'll never. That's not true when it comes to a church. It, that's, not, that's not true. They weren't a perfect church. They had their struggles. They had their difficulties. They had their, their flesh moments. Do you all know what I'm talking about? When they got in the flesh at times, they got on each other's nerves. They, they got aggravated with each other at times. They, they, you know, so, so they weren't perfect. But here's a little something I, I asked Tyler to put up on the screen just so you can see it. They weren't a great church because they were perfect. They were a great church because they believed enough in the perfect, great God. Who, and he could empower them. He could empower them to do great things as they surrendered to his Will. That's what made them a great church. Through their struggles, through their problems, through their, hey, you didn't do that, or hey, how come that? Through that stuff, right? They were still able to be a great church, and they were able to be a great church because through all of that, they kept their focus on this great God and the great things that he could do. Through them, if they would, and what I'm asking you is to ask yourself individually, because you are the church, right? You are the church. I am the church. If you're part of the body of Christ, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, I'm not trying to necessarily automatically assume that you have, but if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you are the church. Collectively, we are the church. We are the body. But to, to look at myself and to say, if I am I willing to surrender my will to such degree that God would make me part of this great church? So... Don't sit here this morning and think, well, we, we could never attain to that. We, we never. No, we can. It just takes the same amount of surrender because the same God who sat on his throne 2,000 years ago when, when this was happening is the same God who still sits on his throne today. Open your Bibles if you brought a copy of God's Word. Open them to Acts chapter 2 uh, this morning. We're going to look at a couple of different, a couple more subjects where we need to make the grade as a great church, and we're aiming for straight what? Straight C's. We're going for straight C's, baby. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. You want, you want to be a great church? You want to be part of a great church? All right, listen, listen to what the book of Acts says. Start, starting in uh, verse 40, I don't know if I even told you, verse 42 this morning is where we are. 42 to 47 is where we're going to read, and we'll cover uh, part of that this morning. Uh, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed 
were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Sounds like a pretty neat situation, doesn't it? Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me share a couple ideas with you. We just read, I know we jumped right into the text, right in the middle of it, verse 42. And we're still not finished with, with chapter 2 there, read through verse 47. But it does, I mean, you, can, you could jump right into it, not having known any of the rest of it, and say, wow, something's happening there. Something's going on there. Uh, God must be doing some kind of work. So there was something great going on. So what makes a great church? Uh, let me give you a couple ideas of it this morning. We'll start with this one. In a great church, there is a desire for continuance. I'll explain what, what I mean by that, but I think you're a sharp group. You probably can figure it out pretty well yourself. But in a great church, you will find a desire for continuance. In, in the text there, in verse 42, uh, it says, uh, where am I? Verse 42, it says, uh, and they were, th- this phrase, continually devoting themselves. This continually devoting themselves. It is a, uh, it is a present tense continuous verb. Uh, in, in other words, it is not uh, what it, grammatically you would say, it is not punctiliar in time. It's not one set uh, point. It is a, it, it is a continual uh, action, right? That's what a verb is. It's a continual action that's going on. They are continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, to prayer, to the word, to the fel- to fellowship, this, this coming together. There is this continual action going on in the life of this body. And as we read on down there, I mean, it's, it's like a daily thing, and that, that was, a, it was a context for that. But, I mean, they're meeting together, they're sharing their meals together. But the point is, there's this continual action that's, that's going on. That's what you'll see in a great church. There will be this desire for, for a continuance, this, this moving forward in this thing. It will not be, as one of my favorite Christian artists, uh, Michael Card, the singer-songwriter Michael Card, has said, it will not be a once-a-week observance when we coldly mouth his words. That's, that's not what the church is. That's not what this thing is. That, that it is something that is alive and it's active and, 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 and you recognize and it's something you want to be a part of and it's, and it's moving forward in this thing individually and corporately. The theological term, some of you have heard it before, the theological term is sanctification. It is sanctification. In other words, there is, there is salvation uh, that is punctiliar in time. The moment I receive Christ as my Savior, whenever that was for a person, that, 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 is, that is a moment in time when I receive Christ. But sanctification is, is this process that's going to go on then for the rest of my life where I'm continuing on in this thing. I, there's continuance. I'm, I'm not here, oh yeah, I was saved and that's it. No, it's continuing on. There's continual desire for growth, for improvement, for, for more commitment, for greater surrender. I have talked to people, and, and you, you may, maybe you have too, maybe you've even thought this way before, but I have, I have talked to people that have said to me, I, 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 I just want to get in. Right? You talk to somebody like, I just want to get into heaven. 
I don't care about that whole, you know, growing in Jesus and, you know, whatever that big word is. I, don't, I, I, just want, I, just want to, I just want to get in. And I'm, just, I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, based on the Word of God, if that is their mindset from the outset, then they're going to be really upset at the judgment seat of God because they have missed what it truly means to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That there's some, sanctification is not optional. It, it, it's not. It's not, you know, uh, an add-on, like buying an extra car option when you, when you buy a car. When I come to Christ, this, this, this is part of this process. I'm surrendering my life to Him, and He's going to take me in this, in this process of, of continuance where I'm going to grow and continue to grow in this thing. That's, that's how it is. So just this idea of just saying, well, well it's just, I believe in Jesus, I, or I, I know I'm... You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's not optional. Now, somebody might say, well, that, that sounds kind of harsh, Clay. That sounds kind of harsh. I mean, ha, ha, how do you know... How do you know whether they're really part? How do you know whether they're, you know, how do you know that they don't really believe? And I, t- I okay, all right. Granted, I don't ultimately perhaps know some of this stuff, but a guy can dye his hair black and grow pork chop sideburns and wear rhinestone sunglasses and sing blue suede shoes and say he's Elvis, but it doesn't make him Elvis. It, in fact, makes him an Elvis impersonator. And a person can say, well, I prayed that prayer when I was eight years old, so I know I'm good. I, you know, I'm not interested in any of this, but I just want to, I'm just, well, how do you, how do you know? If they, how do you know what's on their heart? You don't know what's in their heart, okay? I'll let Jesus answer that one. Uh, Luke chapter 6, the tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are never picked from bramble bushes. In his context, he said, he's, he's talking about this is how you know if a person is actually a believer in Jesus Christ or not, because the, the evidence will be exposed in their life. Now, he's not saying, by the way, that, that there's going to be sinless perfection. He's just saying that the, the, the fruit will bear out what a person's life is, that you'll see it in their life. There is this, this desire for continuance. Well, I used to know this guy. Now, I have no idea whether he's still alive. Because I probably haven't seen him in thirty years, but when I when I knew him, when I knew this guy, he had been eating French toast every morning for breakfast for twenty five years, every day, French toast, every morning for twenty five years. I used to know this other guy. I used to know this other guy. This like, and y'all are like, man, you do some weird people, right? Yeah, I, I fit right in. But I used to know this other guy that would fix his cereal for breakfast, he would fix it the night before. He'd put a cereal in a bowl, he'd pour the milk in, and he'd put it in the refrigerator, and then eat it the next morning. Now, that's not, that's not continuous. That's just plain weird, is all that, that is. But, but eating French toast every day might seem like it, that, that, that would get old. But listen, here's what I'm saying. But feeding on the Word of God, striving to know Him more deeply, more fully, that is something that should never grow old. That is something that, that we should never lose an appetite for. Oh, I, I know, I know the flesh and, and the world and everything's pulling at all of this stuff, right? It's always, always trying to uh, get us to compartmentalize everything and this much time for, for family and this much time for work and this much time for God and, and, and it's all, right? Right? And you may settle for that kind of stuff, but God doesn't. God wants it all. He wants all of us coming along on this thing. He wants us to continue in this thing 
that is following Christ. And if it's true for us individually who make up the body of Christ, then it's true for us corporately. There should be this desire to continue on, to provide resources for people to, to grow and to become more Christ-like and continue on in this thing that we call following Christ. Yeah, look, look at this passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I'm giving you a, a little bit before so you can just see why he's building this case of, of why we ought to do what we ought to do. He says, so brothers and sisters, we are completely free to enter the most holy place without fear because of the blood of Jesus. He's using an analogy of the, the temple, uh, the, 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 the temple that the Israelites would go to, to worship in. And he says, now we can enter the most holy place, the, the presence of God, without fear because of the blood of Jesus' uh, death. He's, made the, he's the reason that we can. We can enter through a new and living way that Jesus opened for us. He leads through the curtain, Christ's body, and since we have a great priest over God's house, who's that great high priest? Jesus Christ. He's the intermediary, made it possible for us to enter into the presence of God. Because of that, watch this, let us come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith because we have been made free from a guilty conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water. See what he's saying? He says, look at what's happened to you. Think about all this. Think of what's been made, made possible for you. Let us hold firmly to the hope that we have confessed because we can trust God to do what he promised. Let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. See this process? You should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other. Do this even more as what? As you see the day approaching. What's that day he's talking about? The return of Christ. When, when, all, when, it just, when, when all this thing culminates, right? And we enter into eternity and whatever all, all that spectacularly will be. He says, man, you see, look, look what he has done. Now because of that, let, let's, let's encourage you to spur one another on. Let's continue to meet together. And all the more so as you see the day approaching. Let, he, what's he saying? Don't, cut, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Don't. Don't let the world's circumstances or your life, don't, don't let that stuff keep moving forward. Keep going forward, continuing on in this thing. Now, let me say this. I know I'm taking a lot of time on this first one, but I'm only covering two today, so we're all right. Let me say this. There needs to be a desire for continuance. Would you say that with me? There needs to be a desire for continuance. But desire is not enough it's not desire is not enough i want to give you a formula and i want you to memorize it. it's a pretty simple formula i want you to memorize it and i want you to repeat it to yourself every day okay the formula looks like this desire minus discipline equals defeat desire minus or void of discipline y'all listening to me this is really important what I'm saying to you right now. Because I suspect if, 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 you, if I could talk to you one-on-one and we're all just really honest and, and transparent with each other, I suspect most of you would say, man, I really, I really have a desire. I, I really do want to get this right. I really do want to grow in Christ. I really do want to share my faith. I really do want to trust Him in, in, at school or in the workplace or wherever. I have this desire. But the problem is you, pro, you very well may lack the discipline. To see it through. Desire minus discipline 
equals defeat. Do you feel that way sometimes in your life? It's like, oh my gosh, well, I, I want to do the right thing, but I end up feeling guilty because I, 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 I didn't do this, or I looked lustfully on this person, or I, I got angry in, in this emotional outburst, and I know I shouldn't have let that happen in my life, or, or this went on in this situation in our, in our marriage or in our home, and I, I know I didn't honor God in that, and, 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 uh, and I, I feel guilty, and I feel frustrated. Y'all ever feel frustrated in your Christian walk? And I feel defeated. God, I, why do I keep doing the same things over and over and over and over again? And, and, and I'm not supposed to, and it's not what your word says how it ought to be. God, why do I keep failing so miserably at this thing? D-I-S-C-I-P-L-I-N-E is probably why. We have to build discipline in our life. So, you memorize that one, you can ask every day, but to flip it around and to mem- look at it an- another way, it would look like a, a desire plus discipline equals discipleship. Desire plus discipline equals discipleship, which is simply another word for uh, continuance. It's simply another word for sanctification. It, it's all meaning the same thing, is that if I have the desire, and by the way, that's something God lays on your heart. When you really come into a relationship with Him, God will give you that desire in your heart for something more. And, and sometimes we can, let, we can let the business of the world or the circumstance, we can let that, we can... We can we can become hard of hearing to God's Spirit real quick if we're not careful. I'm so very grateful to God that when He saved me, uh, I was in my early 20, mid-20s, and when He saved me he, gave me, He gave me an insatiable appetite for His Word early on, and I did not let anything interfere, or tried not to let anything. I'm sure I had my bad days, but, but I just I wanted to devour the Word of God. I wanted to read it, but I wanted to know it, and I wanted to understand it, and I wanted to apply it. And I'm so grateful to God that He did that. I, I, I blow it all the time, but you understand what I'm saying? is that I believe God placed that desire there, but if we're not careful, the stuff of the world can, can, can kind of block that out. So that's why desire is not enough, because discipline says, I, I have to do this. If I want to get, well, let me, let me give you an example. I, would li- I desire to be a good guitar player. I got a whole wall of them, so I ought to be able to do something with them. But all the desire in the world will not make me a good guitar player. What's missing? Discipline. I have to practice. I have to learn music theory. I have to learn the notes on the fretboard and their positions. I have to learn strumming patterns and chord shapes and picking patterns. I have to uh, take lessons. I have to practice. I have to. Pra- Do you understand what I'm saying? The desire, because like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man, I want to shred it. I want to shred it. That's what I probably said when I was 15 or 16. I'm still trying to learn a G chord at this point. Uh, It may be a little farther than that, but you understand what I'm saying? Somewhere, all the desire in the world makes no difference without discipline. I have to to decide I'm going to do this, and the same thing is true in our walk with Christ. You have to at some point decide, no, I'm going to get up this morning. I'm going to get up. And I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to open the Word of God and I'm going to, and I'm going to peer into the Word of God and I'm going to pray and I'm going to, I'm going to seek God's wisdom and I'm going to uh, apply some of these things to my life today and I'm going to begin. And if you do that, guess what you get? You get discipleship. You get sanctification. You get continuance. And that makes a great church. When you see that in the church, when you see that, oh, wow, got to have discipline. Desire's not enough because Jesus said this. You saw, I think you saw it flash just a second ago. Jesus, said, Jesus reminds us, uh, I think in Matthew chapter 16, the spirit is willing, 
But the flesh is weak. Right? That's why I say you probably desire, yeah, I mean, I really would like to be all that person that Clay keeps talking about ought to exist. I, I really want to look like that church in the first century. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we just have to acknowledge that. We have to say, you know what? Goodness gracious, this flesh, how it can wreck this whole thing at times. Okay, here we go. This is the second idea this morning. In a great church, there is always going to be a sense of community. Can you say community with me out loud? Say it. Community. In a great church, there will be a sense of community. Look what happens real quickly here in verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Everyone. Not just the people that sat on the front row. Could, could use a few more of those to sit on the front row, but not just the people that sat on the front row. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had what? What does it say? Say it. All things in common. Had all things in common. Had all things in common. It was a sense of community. That's what I think of when I hear the word community. Even still today, the word community. The, these people, they're together, man. They're, they're, they're on the same page. They're on the same wave, wavelength. They're not, they're not the same. It's part of how, how God is glorified through this process. Is Each of us have our own weird little stuff, right? Right? Somebody found out the other day, not long ago, and I could just tell, man, they looked at me like, you are weird, dude. But somebody found out that I, uh, that I, that I, when I shave in the morning, when I finish, I wash off my razor, I use a, like a disposable razor, I blow dry off my razor. And then, I, and, and, and so it doesn't rust, and I get more, and then I mark it with a, with a black pen, uh, so I know how many, how many, Shaves I'm getting out of that razor before I thought, because I got a certain number. When I get to that number, then I'll throw it away. But it, if, yeah, I, I read that somewhere a long time ago. That if, you, if you dry it off, it, the blade will last four times as long or something. And so, and, and so somehow that came out, or Cindy said something. And I could just tell that person, it's like, you are weird, dude. You're weird. Right? And I know, we've all got our little things. So that's part of how God is glorified through that, is the, is the fact that that... That we're not all the same, but yet we come together in this community. I mean, did you, did you read that? If you read that, you wouldn't think, man, that those people must be exactly the same. No, we are not the same at all. But except for the fact that we're all the same under the blood of Jesus Christ. And that, and that creates this community. Now listen, it wasn't, it wasn't communism or, or socialism where the people were forced to give all of their, all of their belongings to the collective. No, people wanted to do this. They wanted to be a part of this thing that was going on. Now, granted, let me say this. There, there was, there's some extenuating circumstances there, okay? It's a little different from the, from the culture in which we live in today. The, the early church, particularly the church in Jerusalem in these early days, was under severe persecution. Severe persecution. People literally were being thrown out of their house, particularly women who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ because they had very little uh, culturally in, exi- in, that, in that culture. They're, they're literally being thrown out by their husbands out onto the street. And it's not like they can go apply for a job at IBM. or they can, I mean, they, they are literally out on the street. Not just women. It was happening to, to, to men. People were being thrown into prison. They were being stripped of their property. And, and so people literally had nowhere to live and nothing to eat. And the church, not the government, the church said, this is not right. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't let them uh, 
sleep in the rain tonight. We can't let them go hungry. We've got to do something as a church. Well, uh, where are we going to get the money from? Well, I got a piece of property I've been, I've been saving to, uh, to build my dream home on someday. My dream home, this family eating tonight. Right? And the flesh could say, oh, somebody else will provide for them. Oh, by the way, can I tell you what part of their, what, why, why the, th- well, I just, I'll sell the property. I'll sell the property and we'll take the money and we'll make sure that our people are, pay- are taken care of. And somebody else says, you know what? I could do that same thing. And somebody else says, you know what? I, I, I had a banner crop this year. I got more than I could do. And, the, and they began to do this. But can I tell you what part of the motivation, I'm, I'm convinced part of the motivation was, it doesn't necessarily show up here in the text, but it, we talked about it earlier because it happened earlier in the text. Part of the motivation was, Jesus is coming back. I probably wouldn't have time to live in that dream home. Jesus is coming back. Now, I understand they, they, they didn't come back during their lifetime, but that was the motivation. Is why, why do I, this, is, this is worldly. Why do I even need it? Because I made a need. Okay, I understand the context is different. We're not necessarily under persecution then, now, today, like we were then. But the, but the application is still exactly the same. So that any person within the body of Christ, if they had a need, they ought to know that there is nothing that the people of Cross Culture Church would not need would not do to meet that need in their life. But it requires, and this is, this is what we don't like to do, right? Because, what? I, I can't, what? I can't let anybody know that I'm failing in my business. I can't let anybody know that I'm struggling with this in, in my marital relationship. I can't let anybody know that, that this, is, uh, this is some, uh, I'm having this going on in my life. So it requires, in a community, for us to be transparent with each other and say, man, here's, here's a struggle I'm having. Here's what's going on in my life. Here's what's this and that. And, and the and the people and a willingness to say, for the glory of God, I'll do it. I'll help out. I'll meet a need. I'll work on this. There's a sense of community. It, it's a, always going to be evident in a great church. I read this story about, and some of y'all may remember a great evangelist uh, a few years ago by the name of Junior Hill. Junior Hill used to tell this, this story of this guy uh, who was a uh, 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 plane crashed or ship sank or something, ended up on this deserted island somewhere in the Pacific, and he was out for like uh, 10 years, and finally he was, he was uh, they found where he was, and uh, a team came to rescue uh, this gentleman who had been on this island for 10 years, and when they got to the island, uh, and he's gathering stuff together, and one of the rescuers said, hey, I, I noticed that, uh, that there's, you've got three, you built, built three buildings on this uh, island, what are they? And he said, well, th- this is my home, and he said, this other building over here, he said, this is my my church, and he said, "Well, okay. Well, what, what's the third building?" We said, "Well, that that used to be my church till I got mad and I moved my membership." So it's, <laughs> sometimes you just you, sometimes you just can't please uh, people, and then there's too much of that that goes on in the body of Christ, especially within our American culture, right? Well, I I, I don't like the way they do this. I can just go to another church. That's not community. There's something special about this. There's going to be this this atmosphere of community existing within the body of Christ. And when it does, you're looking at a great church. Where, and, and, and I know we, we tend to, maybe just because of, of just the way it works out or cultural norms, whatever, I know we tend, like in our small groups, our life groups, they, they, most of ours are geographically based. Uh, some are affinity based, you know, interest and that kind of stuff. But I know we have like, we have like our students and we have our children's ministry. And so there's some compartmentalization that goes on to some extent to be more effective, hopefully, in uh, ministry. But there should never be this idea that somehow, 
you know, that group is separate from this group or this group from that group, but that all of us together are this body of Christ and there's this community existing within the body. I want a cross-culture church to be a great church. I do, and I'll talk more about that next time we uh, meet, but I know that there has to be a sense of community within us. The, the idea that there's nothing, that, that if something happened uh, in, in, in Ernie Breedlove's life or Bill Powell's life, Paris's life or something that not just me because oh well the pastor he better but that the body of Christ would say hey what can we do for you how can we minister to you what needs can we meet for you in your life that sound like a great church one of the privileges and I'll close one of the privileges uh, of my life is in pastoring this church is seeing how new people uh, when they come into this fellowship uh, are accepted into it and how they they how there becomes this recognition Hey, I, I'm loved here. I, I, I can belong here. I, they're, they're, these people would be here for me if I had a need, if, if I'm willing to share it with them, right? That's sometimes the hard part. Continuance. The church must continue to move forward in being who God has created us and redeemed us to be. And community. The early church was an amazing community. They had their disagreements at times. They didn't always get it right. But there was a genuine love that permeated the early church. And the world took notice. So there you have two more subjects in which we need to make a C. Along with the starting of something you created, the proclamation of the cross, an atmosphere of conviction, the catalyst, the calling, the coming, and the heavenly connection, we're well on our way to being a great church. But there's two more subjects we need to cover, and Pastor Clay will do just that in two more weeks here on Crosswalk. Cross-culture church and all churches should strive to make C's in this curriculum so critical to becoming a great church. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens. And the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.